And we're live, folks. We want to give a big thank you to last week's guest and friend, Andy Luck of Star Wars Autograph Universe, for being on our show last week. You're a busy man, and we appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. We can't wait to have you on again. Um, tonight we have David Rowan, who is a huge Ottawa Centers fan, and one of, if not resident gurus when it comes to soccer. And you can find a lot of his soccer tweeting uh, on Twitter. So without further ado, Dave, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, so it's obviously clearly enjoys the Battle of Ontario, uh, being a Sens fan, <laughs> and we were, and us being located in Toronto. Uh, but uh, quick question for you. When did you start collecting cards and PCing the Sens? Oh, collecting cards was a, I mean, a childhood thing, probably eight or nine. My brother and I just kind of collected whatever we could afford a few packs of here and there. Anytime I got forced to go to the doctor or something, I could convince my parents to buy me a pack afterwards or two. But early on, like, so a lot of victory, early 2000s era stuff then, and not really collecting sense because I didn't really, as a kid, I didn't know about the world. I didn't know really about like hobby shops or anything. I bought packs at a comic book store. Oh yeah. So it was just kind of whatever I got was what I got. And the bulk of it was worthless junk in the long run, but that was kind of our collecting. And then I came back into it probably towards the tail end of university. And that's when I actually started like, okay, I don't want to just amass quantity. I want to actually focus in on a lot of things. So I started out kind of collecting around the 2005 to 2007 era of the Sens. Mm -hmm. So a lot of Heatley, Spezza, Alfredson, Fisher, that generation of guys. And then it's just kind of morphed from there into the newer guys and whatever is nice looking <laughs> so so leading into that um is there any specific players you're pcing currently from the sense yeah so i mean i've taken a, a bit back on the sense pc i focused on thomas shabbat really trying to drill into his rookie year oh nice nice so it's the most focused pc i've ever done where i'm like okay i want to try to chase one of every rookie card rookie year card with the serial numbering or a print run higher than 10. I'm under 20 cards remaining and they're wow. all pretty, pretty painful. <laughs> Thankfully he was a late season debut. So like he's not in artifacts and a couple of the other early ones. So it's not a 300 card PC to try to do. It's a little bit smaller, but he's still in the cup and, SPA and ice and the important ones, at least. Nice, nice. Um, so now that, uh, and this is not, um, I mean, sorry, right now we're in the midst of a pandemic. It's still going ongoing. How has the pandemic affected your collecting habits, if any? I mean, obviously it's removed going to the Toronto Sports Card Expo, which was sure. usually a bigger opportunity because I collect the Sens, but I live in Niagara. So it's a bit of a odd market in that the hobby shops are happy to sell me Sens when they get them, but they don't really 
there's not a whole lot there. So the expo was always an opportunity to kind of interact with dealers from the eastern half of the province and right. people who are actually buying and selling the same things I'm buying and selling. But otherwise, I mean, I've done a lot more comp this year because I've been at home. So buying and flipping and doing all that on a uh, coffee break is just a little bit of fun to pass the time. Other than that, I don't think a whole lot has changed. I mean, I had a child in the last year, so I've sold a little bit more than I've bought, trying to balance the budget a little bit more than I did in previous years. But yeah, it's been it's been pretty steady. We're not here to talk about hockey, so I wanted to talk about, you know, I'm a Leafs fan. So I, I really can't let you talk too long about the Senators. Just, just saying. That's all I got to say. But I'll give you this. I like Shabbat. I have a lot of respect for that kid. But as a Leafs fan, I'm not going to get kicked for someone telling me that. Anyways, I'm sure someone will remind me that I'm a Leafs fan. So I want to pivot to your love of, of footy or soccer. So when did you start watching the Euro Premier Leagues? I've uh, As long as it's been on my TV. So... I grew up in rural Ottawa Valley where there was only an antenna. So probably not until 13, 14 that we actually had like a satellite dish and could get Sportsnet to watch an actual like Manchester United or Chelsea or any of those teams playing. But like really by late high school into college, when I should have been doing more important things, I was watching as much soccer as I could possibly get into so it's funny because i'm i'm a liverpool fan and i know we talked yesterday you're not as heavily invested in manchester united so there's another team we're at odds with um so leafs and then manchester united we probably should stop there you might leave the podcast um <laughs> so we know you're you're high on alfonso davies can you give us a little bit more direction on why that is and how that came to be yeah i mean in my adult life I kind of moved away from being super like Premier League is it and I don't care about that MLS league. It's terrible. I can't watch that. And I actually spent a few years trying to make a career of being a writer and covering MLS and being really plugged into Canadian soccer. So they're just getting to know a bunch of the guys even through that. But the challenge was if you wanted to collect a Canadian soccer player, like they might get in the MLS set every couple of years or something. Like I could, I could make an exhaustive PC of a Canadian soccer player and maybe get to 10 cards. And like, that's for someone like Patrice Bernier who played a lot of MLS years and was in a lot of products, relatively speaking. So the big thing with Davies was it's the first Canadian really, who didn't go off to represent another country mm, who's, showing, who's showing up in these kind of more premium products. So, I mean, in the next year, he's going to be in Champions League Museum and Champions League Chrome. And if they do Sapphire again, like he's in these products where there was never a Canadian to collect before. So it's just, it's been cool to chase him. And then it, his prices blew up this year when he became an absolute star. So it's been a, it's been a different challenge because when you collect Ottawa senators, 
even the best Senators player is not expensive in the world of sports cards. <laughs> like my my nicest Thomas Shabbat card might have cost me three hundred dollars. Whereas now it's like, oh, a Don Ross Hollow of Davies you want three hundred dollars for it. So it's a bit of a different ecosystem to get used to. That's true. And that's a really good point about being a, a player PC completionist for Canadian uh, soccer players. So you would actually get a very high run rate on completing it. So there's that too. So there's an advantage to that. Um, I'm also a fan of Alfonso Davies. And we learned yesterday, and actually I'm surprised I didn't know this because I'm actually on TikTok, that he has a very, very active TikTok presence. I actually, after we chatted yesterday, um, David, I watched... How many half? At least a half hour of his his uh, TikToks. They're actually funny. Um, I think he's hilarious, and it adds to the, his flavor of of being a, a player. And I'm I'm kind of glad. Like the nowadays, the players have a lot of like they really f- culture culturally figure out themselves through TikTok and other social mediums. So everyone loves them for that reason, and that's probably going to help his career in terms of collective collectability. Um, but going back to to Alfonso Davies and related to Canadian soccers, are we positioned to cultivate more talent on the world stage, do you figure? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, and the hockey people might not love me saying this, soccer is our biggest participation sport. So even though our system is loaded with flaws, you're almost accidentally due to produce a few good players every now and then. And now we have the three MLS teams. We have an eight-team professional league in Canada that, you know, it's the CFL soccer equivalent. It's small, but it's ours. So it's it's opening up this pathway for if you are a talented 14 or 15-year-old, you don't have to look at packing your bags and heading overseas to hopefully find a chance to play in Europe because hopefully you have grandparents with a passport in a country or something where you can get eligibility. So as we close those gaps, the hope would be that, you know, the next Alfonso Davies doesn't go play some other sport. He stays in soccer and he can stay in Canada and develop. And that way you don't have these kids who leave Canada super young. So it's a bit of an obscure, obscure example to non-soccer fans, but Jonathan de Guzman, Canadian born, but left for the Netherlands at 12 and played up until his early twenties. I think was when he left the Netherlands for England and Spain and a few other stops. He elected to play for them internationally because his formative years were spent there and it makes sense. And Canadian fans don't love it, but hopefully we're getting to a point where our Canadians who are actually good stay and play for Canada. And right now, like, there's a couple who are on the cusp of being in the Premier League. The first place team in France, their starting center forward is Canadian. Like, there's a few other guys who aren't that far behind Davies. Do you do we have the right positioning here in Canada from a like facilities perspective and training to make these guys stars, or is that like a lot of them probably go over because of that mentality, right? They have their own soccer academies or football academies overseas. How is Canada positioned from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, we have the infrastructure, but similar to hockey, it's a very expensive 
infrastructure in Canada. Like if you want to pay for private coaching and get those extra hours a week, the biggest challenge we'll always face is you can't play soccer 12 months of a year here. Like the kids in South America are playing nonstop all the time. Right. Yeah. And it's not something we can't overcome, but again, like there's not a lot of indoor facilities yet. So soccer isn't a year round thing. And at a certain point, just for exposure, guys are going to go, okay, I need to get on the biggest stage possible. And that just isn't Canada. And, but that's the same for young Americans. If they get the chance to go over to Germany or Spain or England, they're gone. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, Dave, do you foresee that, um, and I'll use Alfonso Davies as an example, do you foresee that Canada is going to have enough young talent coming up that maybe in the next decade or so we can challenge for a spot in the World Cup? Well, a bit a bit of an asterisk on that is that North America is hosting in 2026 and Canada will have games in three of our cities. It's not confirmed yet whether that means we get an automatic spot. Okay. Because FIFA has never done three hosts before. But when mm. they did when they did Korea and Japan was the first time they did two hosts, both Korea and Japan got spots. So the assumption is we're gonna get into twenty twenty six automatically, which would be around the peak window for a guy like Davies, for Jonathan David, who's at Lille in France and a few other of the current generation. So I mean, hopefully we're respectable. Hopefully we're not the host who shows up, scores one goal, and goes home. Because the last time Canada went to a World Cup, the only time Canada went to a World Cup, we scored zero goals and we went home. <laughs> Touche. Good point. Well, ho- hopefully in 2026 we, we can have a fairly talented team to at least make some noise at least. I'm hoping. Um, so... How has the recent interest and in rise in soccer mar- and the soccer market translated for you personally? I mean, it's translated into a profitable year at the oh, there you <laughs> go. level. Like it's everything that I've owned has gone up exponentially. I, obviously, it's come with trade-offs in terms of access to product and what's sure. available. I used to be able to go to local shops and they would pretty much beg me to take whatever soccer was sitting on their shelf from two years ago because nobody else had really been interested in opening it. Those days are gone. Right. Even even people who don't know soccer know that there's money to be made there and know that there's like the current rookie class in this year between Ansu Fati and Erling Holland are both they're money in the bank for people getting them out of products this year. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of interest coming in from people who just wouldn't naturally be soccer fans. And so I haven't gotten a drop from the tops website in a long time because it's just, you know, it's so much more competitive than it used to be. And I think we've also seen it's really moved in the print on demand tops now direction where, I mean, even the first couple of Davies Bundesliga ones are three digit print runs and then they jump up to nearly 10,000 card print runs. And so it, it's just, it's the number of eyeballs that are on everything where it's just, yeah, the demand is up. 
I assume this year, kind of with the 2021 products, we'll see a mm -hmm. correction in supply to it's try to match that. There's no reason why Tops can't turn up the print run. What's funny is talking about print runs back in the early days. This is a quick segue. Is like those out of ten thousand wasn't like wasn't a bad thing back then. Remember, like some of the cards we have were out of ten thousand back in the day. So you know, nowadays we're kind of spoiled with the whole print run to ninety nine and ten and whatnot. Anyways, I'll, that was a quick segue. While I'll let you get back to your 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 point there. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of those things that as the market shakes out, we're we might look at a print run on a tops now rookie where it's like, Oh, 14,000. Uh, that's too many. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about millions of potential collectors in the soccer fandom. Like it's, it is truly global. So is 14,000 too many? Probably not in the long run. If that player goes on to actually be anything that people are interested in. Like if you look at, what people are paying for a Ronaldo or a Messi, just, you know, a, a World Cup prism base. And not even in the summer when the prices went really crazy, but they've corrected. They're still 60 to $80 for a raw base card. Right. And right. you can't tell me there's not tens of thousands of those that are in the world, but there's still the demand outweighs. Um, so, do you so some pundits are saying that you know soccer is now fourth place and they've pushed hockey to fifth place um that being said with soccer being in the top four for some uh, advocates um do you foresee at some point that there's going to be a correction in terms of soccer like do you think it'll come back down or do you think that the momentum with soccer will remain where it is today if not more yeah so i think what you'll see is correction on specific items in the line i think as more people come in and get more educated so i'll you i'll pick on the example of prisms from the summer sure, sure. so for basketball collectors and other sports the prism is kind of a high value item and the first prism is significant wherever it happens in their career and i think that got carried into soccer and then a few people with large followings sort of put their weight behind it and we saw Ronaldo and Messi and Kylian Mbappe's prisms all go crazy. None of them are rookie cards. None of them are rare. None of them are hard to find. But they went, as the kids say, to the moon back sure. in the summer months. And then they corrected as just that the hype machine kind of moved away from them. And I think people started to see, okay, th there's nothing special about that Ronaldo or that Messi. They have, pro they have cards in two World Cups before that. They don't, they're not prism, but they're still earlier World Cups. They have a decade of a playing career before that card came out. There's a ton of other options to look at. So I think we'll see specific things kind of spike and then level. But the overall trend, as long as the sports card sector stays healthy, healthy soccer, I think, is only going to continue to grow in its market share. Yeah. I think the big, there'll be big jumps when you have the major international competitions and we we haven't seen one of those since soccer got popular so if euros go forward this summer and like we don't know what that's going to do to the market like it's completely unprecedented how because that's just on a huge 
on a scale that it, you don't otherwise see soccer viewership yep. outside of the World Cup years. And then, I mean, we've got a World Cup in the later half of 2022, so just over a year down the road, right? It's not that far off before they're playing in Qatar. Mm-hmm. So again, if it might spike for Euros and then level a little and then spike again for the World Cup and then level a little, but the overall trend line I can only see going up unless for some reason the hobby in a broader sense just retreats and tanks. No, valid points. Valid points. Um, so what are your thoughts on investing like in the early Panini stickers? Because I know some people consider those to be the true rookies. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, like in North America versus Europe? Yeah, so I'm, I consider myself a card collector, not a sticker collector. Okay, that's good. And, and that's like, that's just, that's a choice I've made. And it's honestly because there's so much knowledge that you need to gain to be well versed in your cards. Mm-hmm. To add stickers on top of that was just a challenge that I, haven't really undertaken at this point i find that there's certainly certain sticker products that there's a lot of value and appeal in them and some of that has to do with their condition sensitive product they were treated as a different level of collectible when they came out so there's not the same if you go back to those 2004 world cup or 2008 world cups where people they were treated as a kid's product. They weren't really collected and preserved and stored in the same way that you would think. So there's a, those early Ronaldo's and Messi's in nines and tens are going to have value because they're rare. But when you look at the more modern guys, if you're looking at like Holland's first sticker, there are guys who are sitting on thousands of them. Mm, that's true. That's, I didn't think Right, you can still buy those boxes. You can still find that sticker in packs if you wanted. The thing with stickers is they are supply to demand. Like they'll keep pumping those through the printing press because that's a money making machine for Panini. There's no, there's no scarcity there. Again, a ten is still hard to come by because a sticker is flimsy and the corners go away, no problem. So, in excellent condition, graded copies, you'll find value. But for every Holland sticker that might go up to a decent return, most others, you just won't see a lot of value in them in the modern sets. Yeah, no, to your point, I, 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 that's a good point because I didn't realize back in the day when those first stickers came out, people probably stuck them into, like, actually used them as stickers and stuck them into those books. Whereas nowadays, today, to your point, anybody could buy a tens and thousands of the Hollands and the Mbappes and just hang on to them, not stick them anywhere and just sit on those. So yeah, I, yeah, that's a very valid point. Thanks. Yeah. But I mean, if you're in the market for one of their rookies and you know, the cards have kind of gone out of your budget then the stickers kind of that alternate product for people. And you could look at the same as match attacks, which is another for the kids mm-hmm, type mm-hmm. product where it's like, yeah, it, no matter what their career looks like, it's never going to be your thousand dollar card, but you're, you may still buy it at 10 and have it go up to a hundred and, or it may just be, you wanted to collect that player. And this was the, the way to kind of get into the market when they've already 
kind of gone up beyond your budget. Right, right. No, it's interesting. So you're talking about stickers. I just had a, a memory when I was a child. I used to collect cards, but I used to collect the, OP, the, the stickers as well. And I used to make my own cards out of them. So I would stick them on cardboard, cut them out, and create. And I still have them. Uh, uh, I show them to my kids. But I used to create them on my own. So, like, my own cards, right? Um, I, like you, I'm also a card collector. Um, although I do have stickers. Now, this is not soccer-related, but I have stickers of, like, Gretzky and Lemuse. I just can't part from because it's just an emotional attachment. You know, going to... My mom and dad would give me money and I'd go to the local corner store and I'd buy like one or two packs and I'd, I'd go through and make sure I have them in my sticker book. And then, uh, you know, the modern kids don't even stick them in their sticker books. They just they keep the book and the stickers separately. It's like it's like mind boggling. It's an um, investment now. Yeah, of course. Even little kids know that. So that's crazy. Even my kids know that. Well, obviously, they know because of me, but that's that's besides the point. Um, but going back to cards for a second, though. So that's an interesting take on the Panini stickers, but going back to cards, like what about the top UK Futura, you know, Euro exclusive boxes? Like what are your thoughts on those? They're not Panini. It's a different brand. Now Panini is also creating, so there's technically three players in this market, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, the, the prominent licenses are held between tops and Panini right now. The, the European Federation license was up for bids at the end of last year. We haven't heard what happens with that. So right now, Tops owns the club competitions, so Champions Leagues and Europa League, and Panini owns the the national team competitions, so Euro 2020, whatever year it ends up being in. That would be their license. So those were both up for bids. So if those go to one or the other or they stay the same or shift that will kind of shape the landscape but you have a few other kind of people dipping their toes in with either club licenses which mm -hmm. is what you're seeing Futura rely on more heavily so they've signed licenses with Arsenal and Manchester City and PSG and a couple other clubs and so they're they're never gonna get to the point where they could likely bid on say the premier league license that's just too big of a deal for where they are as a company right now but i think they're looking at carving out just a not necessarily a niche market share but to try to find a foothold in the game futura has been around like they're not a, a brand new brand but they were a very premium set their world football came in a very fancy box and was limited to high rollers or to breakers and even if the breakers it's like you're selling a lot of spots and most people are getting nothing out of it just because of the number of cards in the case each time so they've tried to reinvent themselves with their on-demand offerings that they have now it's interesting i know a few people who are grabbing their manchester city card every single week and trying to build the set the prices are good but it's again how will the market long term react to these sort of off-brand rookies and off-brand collectible 
So where do you see, so let me ask you this. This is uh, off the beaten path in the sense of the questions we were asking yesterday. So where do you rank Futura top Panini then in order of preference globally? Right now, I think because of the licenses that Panini has, because they have the Euros and they have the World Cup license, it, it's just really hard to beat that. What Tops is doing product-wise with Tops Now and some of their curated on-demand sets is better than what Panini's been doing in the last year. Panini hasn't done much in the last year since kind of they released Chronicles and uh, they released their regular lineup with Immaculate and a few other things, but there's there wasn't any innovation from Panini in the last year, but they're going to drop Prism Premier League next week, and it's going to be impossible to get your hands on it, even at $600 a hobby box. And Panini will make their bank, and they'll be happy. And at the end of the day, because they have those licenses, I still think Panini's number one, Tops is number two, everybody else is a distant third or fourth. And if Upper Deck ever grabs a license again, they used to have MLS. They used to have Manchester United and a couple other things that they did interesting stuff with, but they've drifted out of the soccer conversation entirely. If they come back in, I could see them very easily moving directly to third. But, I mean, after the big two, it's just a huge jump off to other people trying to do things. You get into Futura and DACA, which is an Asian brand, and then you get to real obscure things that most people will probably have never heard of and nobody buys. What about like, okay, so let me ask you this. So like you said, those obscure brands, like Futura, is it more popular overseas than here? Or are there, or is Panini more popular overseas? And like, who's like, where's the market for these brands? Are they, are they niche markets to their own areas? I think Futura is a little bit, they have a stronger following in the UK. That's where their roots are. That's where most of their products focus. But Panini and Tops are both, I mean, they're obviously strong North American brands in other sports. Panini definitely has a really strong Asian presence in that market. I think Tops is trying to make more inroads there. And where Tops has really thrown a lot of their resources in the last year is a European presence. So if you you may get zero customer service from the Tops Twitter account, but you'll probably get some from Tops UK because they're trying really hard to build their brand out in Europe and be a little bit stronger there. And so they have more, like they have offices in Europe. They do shipping and fulfillment from Europe. Their, their UK store, their Germany store, their Spain store, they're all purchasing product from the US and selling it on their sites. So they're still, they're almost like a distributor, but under the top's name. Mm-hmm. And so you're not getting you're not getting distributor markups at least. But it it's interesting to see them make that push. I'm not seeing Panini do the same thing, but again, Panini has the right licenses. Right. So if you're a UK buyer who wants Panini Premier League Prism, if you have to order it from the States, you'll order it from the States. They know that. They're probably willing to pay. Like uh, there are examples. Kent and I can attest to this. Like there's uh, products that are available to the UK. Kent and I both have tried to get the baseball product over here. 
there's the in panini there's the asian version and I, i'm forgetting the name of it but the asian version uh, of the Timol, Timol, Timol. yeah Timol. so like we try to get that as well um so i mean i'm i, I always go what for what i i can't get right so there, there's that there's actually a question here um for you david i'm going to bring it up on screen it's a good friend of mine sean rubb so he asked uh, i see a lot of acceptance in the united states of soccer cards but not stickers as you mentioned before as an investment. However, when I discuss soccer cards with people from France or Italy, there's absolutely no exceptions of them. Do you find Europe is not really participating in the soccer card boom? He's just getting your opinion on that. Yeah, I think, and I, I live in a bit of an echo chamber with my Twitter feed being filled with European collectors, mm -hmm. but they're probably still the exception and they're still kind of on the leading edge of what is possible. But if North America and Asia are the two biggest markets for it right now, there's just still so much growth potential left in Europe. And what I would say is if I talked to most of my friends in Canada about any sports cards, they'd probably roll their eyes unless they're the friends that I've made through sports cards. So it, it's always, it's finding those collector communities and they can really give you the pulse on how it is actually faring over there. But I, like, I know soccer didn't grow by a thousand percent in the last year, just because of North America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's across the globe. And then when you look at when eBay released their numbers, the two, like two of the fastest growing markets for sports cards in general are Canada and China. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not, it's not the U S percentage wise obviously they're the biggest share so it for them to go up 200 is nearly impossible but like in markets like canada and china and kind of those secondary markets we'll see it grow there the uk is certainly brexit apparently is causing some challenges there in terms of taxation on them purchasing things from outside of the country so that'll take a little bit to sort and probably cause a hit to their market but i think europe is just kind of catching on they're familiar with stickers because they've been in their convenience stores for decades but cards is a new phenomenon and they're they're not easy to find yet right there's not a culture of a hobby shop or there's not that many retail products in the same sense it with stickers and it was match attacks from tops and adrenaline from Panini. So it's stickers and it's trading card games. Mm -hmm. That's the traditional view of the hobby for them over there. So there's a, there's a learning curve and a re-education and then just a need to put new, better products in front of them in a way that they can actually get their hands on them. Do you find, I'm, I'm going a bit of a segue here, but, there's always that common perception or misconception that, you know, everyone is trying to mimic the West when it comes to trading cards. Do you find that the European markets are kind of singing their own tune or are they trying to mimic some of the successes that they're seeing from the trading card markets on the, on, on the West coast or West uh, hemisphere, I should say. Yeah. Uh, a big piece of the puzzle is their influencers at this stage are the same influencers we have over here 
so a lot of collectors in Europe, you know, they're following Gary V just like the rest of us. And mm -hmm. so when he says buy Mbappe, they go buy Mbappe and they don't really know a whole lot more beyond that. But I think as the community grows, they're, they're going to have their unique spins on some of the things. The, especially when you think like these are their leagues, they're their clubs in their backyard, and there's a different attachment that comes through that. In North America, if you were trying to sell out a Prism Premier League break, and you're if you limited yourself to just North Americans, you might have a hard time selling Brighton or Fulham. But in England, you know, there's there's thousands of Brighton and Fulham fans, and I've at a a few of them just have to like collecting and you can kind of, you'll get a bit of a different landscape there because you'll like in North America, you'll find, you know, the same 20 clubs. Most people are fans of, unless they come from a family where it's like, well, no, this is our, this is our family club. This is who we support. We're from that part of England or that part of Spain. And that's who we cheer for. But otherwise it's, well, who was on TV, right? How did I become a Manchester United fan as a kid? They were on TV most Saturdays. Mm -hmm. yeah. I liked them more than Chelsea, who were also on TV a lot most Saturdays. So it was there wasn't a lot to it other than exposure and then being like, well, I enjoy a few different players on that team. So it's like, that's my team now. It's it's funny because I'm a like I said, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I mean, they have the best chant with "You'll never walk alone." Like that, there's there's a certain cachet in how they treat their their local clubs. So I'm sure they they're very passionate. They want to get into to their own products, but uh, sorry, product their own teams. Um, but you mentioned match attacks a couple times, so that was one of the questions we wanted to ask you. So I, I appreciate your insight into you know, Futura and Tops and and and, and various products. But where does okay? So match attacks. Can you give us the background on that and? how the match attacks brand has grown over the last, uh, I, I would say five years. Yeah. I mean, category wise, it would fall into trading card game because I don't know. We'll see if that shows up well enough. You'll see there's, there's numbers and there's stats on there. And uh, apparently there's a game you can play, but <laughs> just like Pokemon, I've never played the game. Collected the cards, never once learned how to play the game. But it was, uh, most people looked at it as a product for kids. It was, it, its market share in the UK is gigantic. It, it is a money-making machine for tops in that country. There's hundreds of thousands of kids who play the game every year, download the app and get super involved in it. Uh, collectors, investors, and the more mature, Sure, audience has a long history of kind of turning up its nose at it because the numbers make it gimmicky. It's not, it's not a clean trading card in a traditional sense. It is a game. It is something a little bit different than what we're kind of comfortable with. But they've been reinventing it a little bit this last year, primarily. So they did match attacks Chrome. They hmm. did autographs inserted in packs in the UK. So here's one that is in my possession. So it's, you know, 
it's a sticker autograph, but so is almost everything in soccer right now. And so they were pushing packs with that. So if you were a, a more traditional collector, maybe that would get you interested. You know, maybe Chrome got you interested because you like everything Chrome because that's what Top seems to think we're all into. Put Chrome on it and we'll buy it. They're not wrong. Or the last offering they've added in memorabilia pieces as well. So in select tins, now you can hit patch cards for the first time. The other piece of it, again, uh, the checklist is gigantic. And it's, they do a couple series throughout the year. So there's match tax extra and other things that supplement the checklist. So a lot of people will show up in that product before they show up in anything kind of in the more flagship sets. So you might be able to find someone, their first match attacks is two years earlier than what would be defined as their rookie card. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's value in those cases. And again, a lot of the match attacks are very condition sensitive. So if you can find a Holland card wearing his Salzburg jersey before he even went to Borussia Dortmund, it's got a black frame on it that's prone to chipping. But if you get one in a high-grade condition, well, now you have a valuable card, even though it's a trading card game. But I I opened a few packs. Tops introduced me to it a little bit, tried to get me hooked on it. Most of the cards, even the shiny ones, aren't ever going to be much of anything. But there's a few rookies that you put aside and see, you know, two, three years down the road, maybe there's something. But it's also important, I think, to remember that I got into hockey card collecting, buying Victory, which is a, a brand without value, even at the time. Mm -hmm. But I don't get into the hobby if even like Series 1 and Series 2 was the cheapest pack in the store. Because, you know, my budget was Victory or MVP. Mm -hmm. And right, that gets me in the door. So if you want people coming into the hobby, you need brands that maybe the more invested collector isn't interested in. We don't need people like me going out and buying out a shop of match attacks trying to get the hits out of them. We need the next generation of collectors getting into cards through something that they can actually afford. Yeah, so that, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you because now that Topps match attacks is adding all these exclusives, whether it be mem pieces or um, autographs. Do you think they're kind of taking it, taking away the market from the kids now? Because I think the adults are just going to hoard and go out crazy and buy all these stuff because they know they can pull an auto or a mem card. Yeah. If you're an adult doing that, it's time to shake your head. The, the reality is like when you look, if you opened a box of match attacks, you will not find one serial number, right? In match attacks, in match attacks Chrome, which was a special offering not intended for the kids, it was intended for, it was aimed at people like me. But in regular match attacks, no numbering. And typically, what that means is they can keep on printing and printing and printing sure. until the year is over. So, like, you could go out and buy what's in your local store, and it'll be back there next week. It'll, it'll restock and you know the odds on hitting 
an autograph in it are very, very low. And so maybe you hit the messy. I haven't seen one surface yet. So that tells you how few there were, but you're more likely to hit Nicholas Otamendi, who you're, you're rightly confused by that name. <laughs> A lot of the auto checklist isn't messy. It isn't Ronaldo. It isn't the stickers that tops know are good value autograph stickers. So they're really cool chases. If you were, you know, a 13, 14 year old who suddenly hit a sweet patch card or hit an autograph for the first time in your life, like that might get you hooked. I still remember hitting my first memorabilia in a, I want to say it was a series two box of upper decks. Like one of my first times ever opening a hobby box, the card is worthless, but I still remember it. <laughs> True, fair enough. Um, so, so Dave, being the astute observer that you are in the soccer space, especially on, on Twitter, um, during the recent winter holidays, uh, you being one of them, a few people pointed out a certain young U.S. soccer player by the name of Brendan Aronson. And you could get his autograph card from Parkside Cards that could be had for like 20 US dollars plus shipping, um, which I will, thanks to you, I managed to get one as well. Oop, there we go. Um, are you surprised at all how much they're reselling for now? Yeah, I mean, when when I bought one, I was like, I'll, I'll pay 25 and I'll probably get out at around 100 just because it's, He's a young player with a lot of potential. He's well known in the U.S. market. Ah, uh, okay. The print run was only a hundred. He has no other autographs in existence, so I felt all of that overcomes the fact that nobody knows who Parkside Collectibles are. And so, am I surprised they've gone kind of closer to two hundred than to one hundred? Yes. But, I mean, if he starts playing well in Austria, like, it'll get attention. And, again, the U.S. has a busy year ahead with World Cup qualifying and then a Gold Cup to play in. So it's likely he'll feature pretty heavily for them. So he'll, you know, those games get the ESPN and the Fox Sports coverage. They get on to the more casual person's radar. So that's where an American can go from kind of like there. Nobody's watching the Australian Bundesliga in the U.S., but when they're playing in the Europa League, maybe someone's tuning into that. When he's playing for the U.S. national team, they're definitely tuning into that. And so that's where he can make or break his value. That's where you'll see guys who. I mean, might even have less substance to him than him, but more hype, like Gio Reyna from oh, yeah. Dortmund. He yeah. has a he has a big hype machine behind him, but performance-wise hasn't done anything more for me than Aronson has at this point in his career. But it's it's the uh, just the rise in interest throughout the U.S. I think at this point, you can't go wrong picking up U.S. star players because that market's just taking off and will only continue to grow as they have major tournaments coming up. 
Now, do you think that that has a lot to do with the fact that that Puz Lynch was probably the most recognizable U.S. person to play in Europe? Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I think Pulisic is a a leading edge of this new generation of them. There, there's been plenty of Americans who have been successful in the past, but not with the same star power. You're not going to find a whole lot of value in Clint Dempsey, even though he spent a lot of time being a very good Premier League player. It was just in the wrong era, really, from the collectibles perspective. People are more interested in what's the new, the now, who's the guy who's going to be a star. So you've got a few American options in that. But yeah, Pulisic, Reyna, Aronson, Sergino Dest, who's at Barcelona. There's a, there's a few. Weston McKenney, who's at mm-hmm. Juventus and co-starring along with Ronaldo. Like that's I mean, I never saw that one coming, but like there there's quite a few Americans who are now in spots where it's like, okay, they could be legitimate contributors playing on the Champions League stage, which again, if people only watch a little bit of soccer, that's probably what they're watching. Right, right. So I've got a question here, which I'll just bring in so you can answer, and then we'll go back to the to our other questions. So quick question here. Not a question, it's a comment. So the Pele documentary is coming to Netflix tomorrow, and I'm glad this brought up because I was mentioning yesterday, I want a Pele auto, uh, although it's eluded me all these days. Um, what do you think this is going to do to the Pele market? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one because the Pele market is a very established market. It's not a, it's not coming out of nowhere. So when you look at when Tiger Woods kind of got his documentary and the lead up to it, there was quite a ramp up in his cards. But I think there was a lot of room for his cards to ramp up. When it comes to soccer, I mean, Pele is already on the Mount Rushmore. And he's been in quite a few products for quite a few years, but in a limited fashion. I think if you were to look sort of on the market, you'd see a lot more Ronaldo and Messi autographs because they kind of churn those out every year. They're in most products as one of the signers because they move boxes. Pele's been held back a little bit more than that. He doesn't sign everything. I think he signed in quite a bit of Leaf product, which again is, okay, now you're getting into unlicensed stuff, but because it's because it's Pele, like the imagery isn't as important either because it's older imagery, so you're mostly just going to be using headshots of him anyhow in a lot of the Leaf designs. So they're the primary source of autographs for him, which means there's not as much on the market as there would be if Panini or Tops was pumping out Pele autographs. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting because if it creates a demand, there might not be the supply there to meet it in the same way. The other challenge is stuff from his career, like his actual playing days is so rare and so hard to find because Pele didn't, he didn't play on the European stage. He didn't play in the Champions League. He was Maradona went over and played in Napoli. And so 
he's in all these licensed products before his passing away where tops and panini you know well we can put maradona autographs into chronicle soccer right napoli license falls under that for panini there's no real product outside of kind of the world cup products where pele shows up so his autograph in world cup prism is obviously worth a huge premium because you know it can actually feature brazil colors it can be proper imagery and everything and but again there's not a whole lot of them because he played in the old north american soccer league for the new york cosmos and he played at home in brazil for most of his career so you're looking at really old stickers and a few other things from his career so it, it's just the values are already there because the scarcity is there now the nice thing is he is still with us he will still continue to sign products going forward so it's not like it's just going to totally dry up but i don't ever see them flooding the market it will probably just keep trickling out for possibly the next couple of decades until it's like okay now the supply is all used up but i think they want to keep a scarcity about him keep the values up and in a world where it's like, well, pump it all out. That's a bit of a different approach. It's funny because Maradona also has a lot of cachet to his name, right? He's got the hand of God, right? There's that. And then there's just Maradona and his his infamous career, right? Outside of in soccer and outside of soccer. I just watched a documentary on him and that, he makes me chuckle because I think he's hilarious outside of the drug problems and stuff, but he made me chuckle like a couple of just interviews. He's got that legacy and he's got a lot of that charisma too, right? Um, we have one more question here, which I'm going to bring up here for you, Dave, and then uh, we'll go back to your other questions. Uh, again, from Sean Robb. So do you think, uh, I mean, hopefully I'm saying the, night, the name right, so Son Hung Min from Tottenham Hotspur could be an important player to collect long-term? Yeah, I mean, I think... We've touched on it a little bit, but it's the Asian market. And now there it's not necessary that Asians are going to collect Asian players. Like they're still, they're fans of the same teams that you or I might be fans of. But when it comes to high profile Asian players, potential to star in the next two to three World Cups, there's not really anybody who I would put above Sun on that list. Now, he probably needs to get out of Tottenham to succeed because Tottenham doesn't win things. <laughs> but like, he he's the next star kind of from that region. When you think of who else is collectible, I don't think there's anybody who's going to eclipse him in the coming years. And his cards are a bit of an odd one because he took steps along the way before, like he didn't, he didn't debut for Tottenham first, right? So his, he's one where you you have to do your research to kind of figure out, okay, what are the, the right early cards for him? Now he'll have autographs in Prism Premier League coming out next week. And, I mean, in terms of the chase, he might just be only behind David Beckham 
for the most desirable autograph coming out of that product because he hasn't like these will be his first autographs and they're on prism so double kind of win there right um so besides the obvious young stars that we've talked about tonight like holland and, and mbappe that pretty much everyone who's kind of fallen in the soccer market is now aware of um are there any other young stars slash rookies that you're currently eyeing and can you perhaps maybe share with our audience tonight who to be on the lookout for like if you can name a couple of players that you have in mind yeah i mean it it really comes down to what you're looking for in the market obviously there's the guys who you think are going to move on to bigger and better things in the really short term so Right now, Borussia Dortmund is sitting outside of a Champions League place, which would all but guarantee that Holland and his teammate Sancho are both on the way out the door because mm. they're not going to not play Champions League. They're both already highly sought after. Anyhow, they would have been hard to hold on to to begin with. So if you're looking for people who you know you could cash in on this summer, those are obviously two potential guys who could be making high-profile transfers. It's not even out of the possibility that Mbappe moves this summer. You're already paying premium prices, but if LeBron James has enough sway to bring him to Liverpool, those premium <laughs> prices suddenly are already looking like a good investment. But I think if you're looking to go below that or you're looking to say okay maybe i want to spend 10 20 on a card that i might see going up i would typically then look at that second tier of leagues so you're looking at the guys who are in the bundesliga maybe guys who are in france even uh I, i'd stay away from england for the most part, because anybody who has a drop of potential has been overhyped. Oh. So I I wouldn't chase a Mason Greenwood or a Phil oh. Foden in the same way that I might go after someone who has a bit more potential to make an upward move. So best case scenario for Greenwood and Foden is they stay where they are and they do well. So as a long-term play, mm -hmm. that might be a good move but if you're looking i mean yeah in say the netherlands orion Gravenbach at ajax amsterdam who i think he only has a tops now but you can get it for a decent price and maybe that has a chance to grow going forward or you know if you look in germany at a florian Wurz, who's probably going to be at a bigger club next year if you think Borussia Dortmund's going to sell their two star players maybe you want to pick up Jude Bellingham and Giovanni Reina because you figure well somebody has to star for them next year true yeah mm -hmm. right there's a I think there's always options if you're willing to kind of do the homework to figure out okay who who's the young guy who's going to be playing Champions League games because I think that matters and we're getting to the point of the year now where watching the transfer rumors to kind of see, okay, who's coming up a lot. Like I did a lot of flipping last summer 
on ComC just because I read the rumors earlier in the day than the person who bought the card from me later in the day. Right? So it's just getting... It's just doing the learning to kind of figure out, okay, who am I interested in? And then deciding, okay, how how long is my play with this? Am I tying up $20 for a year and hoping it turns into 100 Okay. Or am I tying up $200 for six months and hoping it turns into 1000 right? It's, again, sure. it's about what you can, you can absorb personally. Like, I'm not buying Mbappe and Holland in quantity. Right, right. Because it, it just ties up so much of what I'd rather kind of have free to flow through other things more rapidly. So buying up every kind of rookie who gets a Tops Now Bundesliga this year, and it's like, well, if you buy them at direct from Tops prices, I mean, I'm not risking more than like $5 here. So if they work out, and that $5 card becomes a $25 card, that works for me. And that's kind of the arena that I'm more comfortable in. So I've got a lot of Jamal Musiala and Jude Bellingham and Mukoku and a few other guys out of Germany. And I'll just, I'll sit on those and we'll see what happens. And if they go bust, I don't have to stress because I didn't put $200 onto the card or anything like that. Right. Valid point. Valid point. Um, what are your thoughts about um, recognizable women's soccer players? Do you think they'll like like gem copies of those? Do you think they'll have the potential to move up the ladder? I think value wise, value wise, sorry. Yeah, I think you got to be realistic about again who actually has cards. And when it comes to women's soccer right now, you're mostly looking at the U.S. national team because Panini has done some U.S team focused products or going back upper deck used to include the previous U S women's professional league was in their MLS products. So you can get WPS cards in there. So these ladies, especially in the U S are extremely popular. There is huge fan bases for them. And even from a super simple perspective, a lot of, collectors who turned into dads have daughters and they want to share it with them as well. And so they might go down that road with it. A lot of us soccer fans just like all us soccer. So there's certain ones that I think are good. You'll see Alex Morgan has her rookie cards in, I think 2011 type range MLS products. And there's value in those because she's a superstar there's a huge collectible market for her, but outside of the U S there's not, there's just not a lot of existence of cards. So I can like, I'm in the market for looking for a Christine Sinclair autograph from those WPS sets that upper deck included with their MLS offerings. That's an expensive card because there's so few of them. So it's become a couple hundred dollars because she's the greatest goal scorer of all time, regardless mm -hmm. of gender. Yeah. She's scored more goals than anybody, right? So there's there's more demand probably even than there is supply. And if they were to start making more of these products, I think they'd, they'd be popular. I think we saw it 
this year with how the market reacted to the WNBA product. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, I think if you know they built a proper women's soccer product on a recognizable brand, people would buy it. So we're coming up on the hour mark. So I know we want to be respectful of time. Dave, are you okay to stay for a little bit longer and mm-hmm. kind of show off some of your your cards you've collected and and uh, and so on? Sure, I'm always fun to show off. Sure. So um, I think it's a good way to to end it. There's a lot of important information there. We'll definitely have you on again because I'm going to pick your brain for some of the stuff. There's some things you mentioned that I would have not thought of. And I also noticed like some of the things you're talking about from a collectability perspective is a bit different than other sports. So it's neat to, to, to learn that. So in honor of your favorite player, so I picked up uh, that Alfonso Davies. <laughs> you can see it. So that's the uh, optic, right? And then I'll show you another one that's also in honor of you for coming on our show is the other Alfonso Davies. The with, his, with his face taped up. Well, it's going to go to PSA. Sorry, I just that's a really good point. Just so you know, I'm very anal retentive when it comes to my cards, and as soon as I get them, they're on their way to PSA. So full disclosure, these are going to PSA. I'll save my last two for later. Uh, I'll let you go first, Dave. Or second, Dave, sorry. Yeah, I mean, we'll start in soccer because that's kind of where we've been hanging out. I mean, a little mm-hmm. preempted, but obviously there's the, oh, the, optic, hollow. the optic hollow which I bought about this time last year for, I mean, significantly less than I paid for this, than I paid for a card for kids, right? It was just the timing of the market. Soccer was still in the COVID break at that point, but as soon as it came back and it's like Alfonso Davies was – just shredding defenders on Barcelona and getting onto every highlight reel. It's just everything's gone up, up, up. And I think there's a, there's a lot of room where the market still needs to kind of learn on that one where it's like, okay, not all Davies cards are now gold and I'm adjusting to, well, no, these are fourth and fifth year cards. Now, why are you still treating them like, rookie cards you guys might not remember but i mean that's again it's not the hockey market i'm used to where rookies happen in a season there's a set of rules about it and we all kind of know what a rookie card is in soccer you've got multiple brands multiple leagues multiple calendars it's a little fluid what's a rookie right now some brands are being a little fast and loose with what they put a rookie card logo on right now and when I say some, I mean both Tops and Panini have had some pretty glaringly bad ones in the last year where it's like we would all benefit from a system of organization on that one. But yeah, I pulled out a few other hockey cards as well. Here's one from a uh, – I have a long history of Ottawa Senators PCs that didn't work out. So um, I was once upon a time a Matt Pumple super collector. Oh, no kidding. Wow. So uh, I have I have a shoebox full of really nice autographs and patches and colors and number and of Matt Pumble. So, you know, they, they're not all winners. Another uh, another one. Here's a – that's a Curtis Lazar out of five. 
another uh, PC that just never quite worked out for me as a fan. Really nice kid, but never, never really made it stick in the NHL. Hopefully, things go okay for him in Buffalo now, but. Yeah, the it's another one where it's like they're in a box and they're nice cards, but you know the value is pretty much gone because of the way his career went. But yeah, then uh, like oh, I mentioned, after you showing them off the top, like I mentioned, kind of this era was what I got back into it with. So that's a Spezza. I think that one's out of three. That's nice, a nice piece, though. That's a nice piece. Nice game gear one. I mean. This is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's Dominic Hasek. They don't. They have not really put out a lot with him with Sen's imagery because that's not the club people kind of attach him with, rightly so. But I mean, that was one for me that absolutely had to had to own. I mean, a few more recently left us in Ottawa behind. So you know, Mark Stone, Eric Carlson. Both guys that I collected a little bit of. They were, I mean, Mark Stone is still criminally undervalued considering he's probably a top five winger in this league. He's certainly not top five in terms of collectible prices. And even going to Vegas hasn't really helped that. And then obviously the Shabbat collection. I mean, the jersey behind me is was worn by him for two games of the Memorial Cup that he played in with St. John. That's awesome. And then probably my favorite Shabbat card, and obviously this is one of my favorite offerings that Upper Deck has done, period. The the Future Watch Auto is already one of the best things they do every year, but the black parallel Easter egg of that, probably less than 10 copies of it. Wow probably the most I've ever spent on a Shabbat card and absolutely no regret about it. That would be the one card where if I had to get rid of my entire collection, that one's not leaving. You know, I like your showing. So just to try to mention it earlier, but unfortunately it was talking over you. Um, and uh, I like that you're showing PCs that are not necessarily the big shots. So it shows your passion for collecting. It's not just the hottest and latest and greatest player. Um, so I appreciate that. So I like that aspect of it. I love the soccer pieces. We do have a question here that came up from Jason Card, which is, do you collect vintage soccer cards? Like, and then if I screw the name up, I apologize, but it sounds like Kreif and Beckenbauer. So I don't. And again, it's just, it's sticking to what I know best. Vintage is a whole other landscape. I think it, the same will be said for any sport where it's one thing to collect modern, it's a whole other kind of ball game to try to figure out, okay, what am I doing with vintage? What are the, what are the sets to have? So I have modern cards of some of those guys. Like I do own a Cryf autograph, but it's from the two thousands. It's not kind of from his actual playing career period. And I think, if you're looking for something completely untapped, vintage soccer has not taken off in the same way that modern has or how vintage other things like other sports like baseball in particular have taken off. You can get pre-war soccer sets for, you know, 
dollars a card or less. And maybe like if that's just I might buy them just because I think they're cool to have something that, that that is that old and that historic. But to people who are willing to put in the time and effort to figure out, okay, what's of value? What is what's the quality here? What am I actually getting into? I think there's a there's a steep learning curve there. Because unlike vintage baseball, I don't think anyone's written the book on vintage soccer. There's certainly some really useful collectors groups that you can find kind of in Facebook and a few other places where if that's a road you wanted to go down, there's guys who who could write the book. They just haven't. But it's definitely not me. It's definitely not where I've kind of built my knowledge base. For sure. And there's one other question that came up. So peeps, just so you're aware, um, David and, uh, and us and Kent talked earlier, so you really don't collect stickers per se, but I want to just ask this question here. So how do you approach stickers as they've had a long tradition in both hockey and soccer? Again, I'll let you quickly answer that one, David. Yeah, I mean, to me, I collect cards and stickers are a different thing, but I'm, I don't turn up my nose at someone who collects stickers. And they're, especially in Europe, when it comes to soccer stickers, there is a long history. There is a nostalgia value. There is a historic value. There's a connection there. So there's a market for stickers. And again, you have it's another market to educate yourself on because stickers are a little bit different than cards. They're just offered differently, printed differently, different quality concerns that you're worrying about. So just a whole other landscape to educate <laughs> yourself in. Uh, Peep, sorry, I didn't mean that if I came across uh, uh, a bit stern on that, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, I just meant that I wanted to bring it back up. So I apologize if I sounded that way with your question. So um, definitely no worries asking that question. Um, I'll show a couple more cards while you're at it. So it's, uh, I brought this guy out. This is also, yes, he has, has tape. I know it's tape. So he's going to PSA. It's a serial numbered uh, Ronaldo. And I bought this guy because Kent told me you told him over Twitter that this guy was good. So I bought this too. So, um, Kent, did you want to show a couple of your pieces and then we can get back to yours, David, and then we can do a, a bit of a wrap up near the end. And I appreciate sure. it a little bit longer. Sure. Um, one of the ones I had asked and talked about earlier was uh, I actually had a Alex Morgan rookie from 2011 MLS and uh, I actually got it graded last summer. And it came back to him at 10. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, what else we got here? I could show you. Um, I wasn't expecting to get Jim at 10 on this because it's very hard to grade um, the uh, Obsidian, Panini Obsidian brand. But my Yao Felix um, Yellow Supernova out of 15 came back to Jim at 10, which is really cool. Uh, although I know he's getting roasted today because. Uh, Atletico didn't do very well today. He was getting roasted on the, on the boards there today. Um, just like you guys, I also have an Alfonso Davies, Jim Mint 10, um, as well as Sancho right there, Jim Mint 10. I've got some Mbappe base uh, optics. Whoops. There we go. A um, couple of those. Uh, but the big one is the optic orange refractor. To 99 of Mbappe, which is out of nine. But, and then I've got some Messi's like everybody else has, but 
This Fuego um, super short print that came out of Chronicles, that gemmed, actually gemmed 10. But the big one for me, and uh, I pulled this card, uh, was the Erling Holland out of Top's Finest, out of Orange Refractor out of 50. And that came back mint 9. So that there um, is a very special card and expensive card right now. Yep. I love how Kent just came out and destroyed the both of us with his his. Card. I didn't destroy you guys. I'll, I'll just wait till the end, and I'll just like just. <laughs> okay, well we can't touch Kent. I can't unless uh, well, unless if this is a video game or a game, I send it back to you, David. You gotta you gotta one up him somehow. I gotta one up him somehow. I mean, part of the challenge is a lot of my Davies collection is either sitting in Com C, sitting at a friend's parents' house because combining shipping. Or is currently off for grading, but I have a few other things. This is a not just a trading card game, but these are actually attached to a. It's essentially a video game out of oh no kidding. Japan. So, I mean, they were just a cool, interesting looking card. I bought them to kind of just learn about them. But like this card would let you get Davies in your team with those stats. So there's a whole. It's big in Japan. I don't know. A whole lot more about it yet, but it was a fun one to have. Again, trading card game, but I had oh. to have the Canadian flag in the background, so that made it just significantly more appealing to me. For sure. And yeah, the the rated rookie and the red press proof is another. I like that one because it matches his jersey, the border. Yeah, it's it's a nice effect that they do on them, right? And then there's a. There's another one, just team of the year. So that's another one of those little on-demand sets. But I think this one had a print run of under 600. Wow. So, I mean, it's it's not a rookie or anything, but it, a limited run, which is nice. And I'd, it's in an uh, Ultra Pro, so that's heading south? Uh, it arrived in that. It hasn't been taken out, so it hasn't <laughs> been decided on what it's doing yet. <laughs> so it's a, little, it's a little up in the air. The other ones need to come home before I decide if anybody else is <laughs> going off for slabbing. But I can't beat Ken with any of the soccer cards I have within reach. But I do have a couple other couple other Shabbats. So I can go bigger on hockey. So there's one of my nicer yes. Shabbat patches. I think that one's out of 15 or 10. Yeah. It's sure. low. And then, you know. I can go super fractor. Awesome. There you go. So there's golden treasures, one of one Shabbat rookie card. And that's one of those. That card's an example of if you have a well-known brand, that card got into my Twitter DMs before it ever hit any sort of public marketplace or anything. I didn't. All I had to do was make a fair offer and that one was mine. So, so let me tell you, I'll tell you something funny about that. So I am I'm I'm trying to collect those cards, right? There's another friend of mine who also is trying to collect those cards. So when I saw that, my heart jumped. I'm like, okay, that's one less one to look at. <laughs> yep, that one has never hit the market, and it never will publicly, <sighs> unless something has badly happened to me. See, there, there's my good friend Jeremy. He is a lot. He has more sports. Uh, sorry, more uh, golden treasures than I do. I have one. 
he has more than one, but <laughs> both our collective hearts are like, is that what I think it is? I did that too. I looked at it and I'm like, oh, we're going to have to talk later. See if I can reach this one. <laughs> um, I'll let you uh, show, you're going to show something and then uh, we'll, uh... oh, again, another one? It doesn't end at one. Oh, geez. This one's not a rookie. It's a, it's a Pajot from the same year, but. Oh, man, there's two off the market. Okay, well, Jeremy, we know there's two we're not going to get. Uh, <laughs> I have to bring him back up. Cross Jeremy, at least I exposed two that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. <laughs> no, because that's another one where a friend hit it, I think, on the EPAC platform, and it was in my position oh, before cool. the world ever had a shot at it. I'm doing it all wrong. I'm on Instagram and I'm not on it enough. I need to promote myself more. But then again, I don't want to over promote myself because then people will hold me for ransom. Um, and I don't want that either. So you know what? I'm okay being in a bit of a silence on it, but that man, is, two? You have two of them? That, oh, is, that is the mixed bag of it because there is a certain card that goes in the rainbow with that Shabbat Golden Treasures that I haven't been able to get because I think there's a bit of Someone knows how bad I want it. Yeah, they're, and they they're, know that I'm a captive buyer. I either have to meet their price or be okay with my incomplete rainbow. Yeah, you know, I, I, he, I have the mindset, and this is completely a different topic. And I think Kid will agree. If they want a card that badly, they can die with it. I don't need it. Oh, look, Dave Pajol, uh, Dave Panopoulos showed up. Here you go. He had the Pajol. There we go. So we know where David's uh, allegiance goes. The two Davids are, are thick as thieves. Yep. Yeah. I, and that's why that one won't leave, because it came from from a friend. So it's got the extra sentimental sure. attachment, right? D-Pan, I'm looking at you, man. I'm looking at you. There's some cards I want from you. I'm coming after you, man. So I'm going to follow your Twitter feed. I'm actually... Just for the record, I can't stand Twitter. I'm not on Twitter very often. Kent is on Twitter more than I do, and there's way more action on Twitter, so I should join. But D-Pan, I'm looking out for you, man. Um, I know we're at an hour and 21 minutes, um, and I, I want to make sure we're being respectful of your time. Um, David, you've been an awesome guest. I learned a lot about uh, the footy uh, collecting. I love listening about your, your collecting of the Senators. I love that you showed cards that aren't pc cards like like sorry major pc cards they're like your favorite team cards and it may not be like the the biggest player so i'm totally open for that day Pan, please don't tempt me man <laughs> i'm gonna join twitter today and i'm gonna follow you right away um but long long story short i want to thank you again for for showing up um and for showing up that sounds terrible thank you again for coming on our show and i really appreciate it i want to have you on again you were an awesome guest and learned a lot about it. I'm going to have to rewatch my own show to make sure I pick out some of those names that some names I hadn't even heard of. Um, <laughs> just for everyone else who's in the, who's watching the show. Thank you for joining. Uh, next uh, show. We'll have uh, our, a very famous artist by name of Tim Carroll on March 2nd. Uh, he'll be coming into our show. So we'll be promoting that. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. But again, I want if there's any last questions or comments or roasting for for David, please please let him know. He's a he's not a Liverpool fan, or you can roast me. It's up to you. I'm a Leafs fan. He's a Senators fan. But we're 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 all about one love. So and 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 uh, hanging out and having fun.
Cool. Another oh, Erling Holland here from Peeps. We got uh, Marlene Golik. I think. Thanks, guys. So, um, any last comments you want to make, Kent? And if not, any last comments you want to make, David? If not, then uh, we'll uh, we'll cap it there. Uh, I'm good. Um, but we should always ask our guests that that that, uh, that one question before we let them go. So, I mean, I'll 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 throw it over to you. Oh, that is a very good point. I got so wrapped up in our. I I got so wrapped up in our rivalry, I forgot. So before we leave, it is a good way to end the show. So what inspires you? I want to know what inspires you, David? What motivates you and inspires you to continue to do what you do? Boredom? No. <laughs> That's not the right answer, but I mean, I got back into cards in a less than favorable stage in my life and found a bit of a community like, I mean, D-Pan's been chiming in, but like our friendship only exists because we kind of bonded over pictures of men on cardboard. Right. And so kind of that community that's been built out of it, it does keep me coming back. You know, I have a, a wife and a kid now, so the budget and the way that I go about it is certainly different than it used to be. My goal this year is to be net zero spend. So, you know, I, Got to sell that Aronson auto if I want to buy a Davies auto, right? Like that's just kind of the, what I'm trying to make work this year. But it's just, it's always finding new things to be learning about, stay interested in, and just having people to actually share that interest with. And I'm sure like me getting back more into soccer cards is probably to blame for D-Pan getting more into soccer cards again, right? So it kind of, we pull each other in those directions. and. Sorry, we lost you there, but I just wanted to make sure you got the chance to finish your last comment. I think I dropped off mid-sentence. I just, I put a period there. I don't think you lost me. <laughs> right, no worries. Cool. Well, uh, again, thank you very much for everyone who's joining. We're going to sign it off here. Uh, David, just hang out um, at the end, and we'll just uh, cap sign up after. Okay, thanks, everybody, for watching. Appreciate it. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>